Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Catfish Corner, the Tennesseans podcast covering the, all things predators and probably who knows what else we'll cover today. We have a, a guest today, a man whose voice you could, could be heard in the Nashville airport, on the radio, sometimes on the TV. He's, uh, he's been named Tennessee Broadcaster of the Year many times, more times than I can count, and I can't count that high. But he has nobody to talk to now since the Predators aren't playing, so he's going to talk to us. Poor guy, Pete Weber. Uh, thanks for joining us, uh, Pete. How's it going uh, in, in uh, day whatever of quarantine? Not a poor guy at all, uh, really, when you think about it. I, I'm number one honored that you asked me on. Uh, glad to have a chance to talk. And what we're doing now is the, are those things that oftentimes happen when the season ends and you're trying to catch up with the rest of life. So try to tie up some uh, loose ends around the, the, uh, the uh, house here and uh, put some things together so we may continue and hope that we are continuing in a few more weeks. You know, that's that's the hope. I, I don't know that there's a lot of hope there for a season to come back. But, uh, you know, looking at the the way the state of the world now and the way things are changing every minute, Pete, I mean, is it it, yes. it, it kind of puts a lot of things into perspective in terms of, you know, you know they're canceling the, or postponing the Olympics, and, and there's a lot of billion-dollar you know, corporations and leagues that are losing a lot of money. And, and it just kind of shows, you know, how big this thing really has become. Um, but I don't really want to talk too much about that. I want to, I, I want to know, you know, we have a lot of conversations, Pete, you know, during a game, before a game, uh, on the road. Um, and, and I kind of, you know, like to pick your brain. Um, and the other day, so I, I saw, um, you know, a friend of everyone's, Doc Emmerich, who's going to be on the show next week. Um, yeah. Posted uh, the NBC Sports posted a video of him doing play-by-play at a car wash uh, on Twitter. <laughs> um, have yeah, you it, putting a windshield wiper, uh, attaching that to a car? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was exci- It was exciting. It was like watching Bob Ross paint. I mean, it was. You know, it's like how, how could this be exciting? <laughs> he makes it exciting, but is it weird for you? All these replays are going on. You know, the, the radio replays, the TV replays of some of the you know the, the series, uh, Predator series, playoff series in the past. Um, a, have you listened to any of them? B, is it strange to hear yourself? And 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 how do you, do you critic? Are you a critic of yourself, or how do you kind of how do you when you rewatch some of this stuff? I assume that you you probably have listened and watched some of it. I have. I've done both. I've probably done more listening than I have had watching. And yeah, you tend to think, oh, why did I say that there? But I don't let that overwhelm me at all. I just try to put myself back into that moment in time when it all occurred. And uh, enjoy it. I mean, uh, how can I not enjoy, particularly what's going on right now, uh, playing much of the Preds' run to the Cup Final in 2017? That is all enjoyable, though when it was all over, 60 days of adrenaline had to be repaid to the body. You know. Well, for sure. I've I've, I've been through the Cup runs, and they're they're long runs, but they're they're fun. They're rewarding. Um, yes. And. and you know, when you look back on them after a little while, because when you're going through them, you don't really even. Re- I mean, you try to you try to appreciate the moment, but it's it's difficult to do when you're work like you say you're working, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen hour days and traveling and and you know just trying to to breathe and and hopefully you get a meal in there and but uh, you know you you've called over two thousand games in your career and and I'm gonna I know you like to be put on the spot you're. you're uh, for people, and I know a lot of people have had a chance to talk with Pete. I see him out there every intermission at every home game, you know, talking with fans and, and you know, just sharing stories. And, and Pete's a guy who I love to listen to tell stories. Um, so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, Pete. Okay. You, of all the, you know, you've called a lot of games. You were a minor league uh, baseball broadcaster for a long time. Um, 
but you know when you have two th- when you call that many games um are there moments like when when you think and I don't know how much thinking back you do when you think of your career what are some of the first things that come to mind that you've been able to see uh and call and and you know just kind of remember the most out of all the okay. moments that you've that you've that you've had okay in all sports um, in all sports and I, and Pete and I love to talk baseball by the way too so we'll try not to turn it into a baseball podcast but okay well I have to say um in uh football it was the uh four Buffalo Bills Super Bowls I was on the broadcast for all four of those those were all unique but they didn't they were one thing was not unique that was the ending they lost each of those four Super Bowl games. Uh, covering the NBA final, when Magic Johnson was a rookie, and he won the championship, taking over for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in uh, game six at Philadelphia, and being able to just dominate the game. Daryl Dawkins, the, uh, the prized citizen of his planet, Lovetron, just <laughs> could not match up very well with Magic in that game. And nor could anybody at that particular point in time. 20-year-old kid was absolutely incredible. Uh, in baseball, I'm going to have to say my earliest memories, and not what I broadcast, but listening to the man who sort of inspired me into this career, and that was then Cardinals announcer, paired with Jack Buck most of the time on KMOX, Harry Carey. We got listening to, to him I, I got the to Cardinals listen. came. Pete I, got to, Pete, I got to listen to, to Harry growing up as a kid when he was a little bit further along in his career uh, yes. when he was broadcasting for the White Sox and the Cubs. and uh, Especially the Cubs, I would come home after school, and, and the Cubs, of course, were on. I grew up a White Sox fan, but um, the Cubs were on, and I would, and I was listening to, to Harry. And, uh, and years later, became friends with Steve Stone and moved on to, with the White Sox. And I, I've always mm-hmm. I kind of had a fascination with, with announcers, uh, especially you know those guys who I kind of grew up watching. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of neat to hear some of your you know kind of the guys who inspired you to do what you do. Well, yeah, and Harry, I mean, and the inspiration part of it goes back here. It was I could tell it just sort of rang through with that little Zenith speaker on my nightstand that he and Jack Buck immensely enjoyed what they were doing, and then later on, Paul, I found out they were getting paid for it. That's what sort of pointed me. Uh, in this direction, trying to see if maybe that would be something that I could do. Uh, but listening to the Cardinals come back and win the pennant and that uh, collapse of the Philadelphia Phillies and the Cardinals winning it in 64, and then the runs they had with Red Shandians as the manager in the later 60s, though they, I still can't believe we brought in slide in Game 5 of the 68 series against the Tigers. So the Tigers and Mickey Lolich come back from a three-games-to-one deficit and win that series. But then when I went into hockey and got the chance to see Marcel Dion play at such a high level every day and be the great human being he is, that was uh, something very special for me. I moved back to Buffalo, Gilbert Perot, and had the chance to work with a couple of Hall of Fame announcers there, Ted Darling and Rick Jennerette, and then on the football side, Ben Miller with the Buffalo Bills, uh, that was really, uh, I was been very fortunate with the guys I've been exposed to coming along. So the, the memories are many, and I don't know if you have enough recording media here today for me to run down all of them for you. 
Well, I, 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 the condensed version is great. You know, that's what I love about talking with Pete is that every day it's, a, you know, he'll, he'll retell the same story sometimes, but every day there's, there's more stuff. The guy's like an encyclopedia, and I'm just, I, you know, he's the kind of guy I like to sit next to at the bar and just shut up and drink and listen to you talk. But, <laughs> and I, and, but you know, it's, it's interesting you talk about those, those mo- you know, some of those moments. Um, I wanted to ask you more specifically, you know, you've been with the Predators since, since they've been the Predators. Um, how did that job come about and how how different is calling hockey because it's a lot I mean it's it's of all the sports I mean maybe basketball you might be able to compare it to a little bit but of all the sports you know there, there's so many moving parts um mm-hmm. you know but at first how did you get how did how did the take me to the your your birth with the predators like your, you know of your job how did that come about and please number condense one, it because we only have a half hour Pete yeah number one I always wanted to do I always wanted to help birth a professional franchise and I, I didn't care if it was baseball, I didn't care if it was football, didn't care if it was hockey. But I had quite the grounding in hockey, to be certain. And when I was upstairs in my home office in Buffalo, and uh, reading on the, my uh, phone-connected internet computer, that the Prodigy service said, ooh, this just in. NHL announces provisional franchises for Nashville, Atlanta, Columbus, and Minnesota. And I called down to my wife and I said, what do you think about this? Her parents had relocated to Knoxville uh, years prior to that. And I said, boy, the trips for family gatherings would be a lot easier if we were in Nashville, wouldn't it? She said, yeah, no question. So I then pursued, I located where Craig Leopold, the founding owner, was in Racine, Wisconsin, FedExed my materials to him the next day, and then kept following up in the interim. Uh, I got my big break was Jerry Helper, who I worked with at the Buffalo Sabres, was named communications director here with the Predators. And so he was working on the inside for me. The draft to form the Predators, the expansion draft was held at Buffalo in 1998. So I went down and covered that for my as part of my job for Empire Sports Network and interviewed some of the people, got to meet Craig Leopold face-to-face, Got to meet his team president, Jack Diller, face-to-face. So that was all from the 97 announcement to 98 as we were getting closer and closer, the team actually icing a team. And then when we went to visit my in-laws on the 4th of July period, I uh, purloined my father-in-law's car and drove over to what is now known as Bridgestone Arena in the very rudimentary offices of the Predators and went in and tried to close the deal. Didn't get the deal closed, but got it uh, pretty well further along. And then by the time it came to uh, early to mid-August, uh, I had my name on a contract and was ready to get started here for the first day of the first training camp. How does an audition like that go? I mean, just real quick, like, do you go in and like, do you watch a game and call it for them and when people are standing there watching you? Like, How does that work? There are any number of ways, but usually you just, uh, now you just give them, give them a recordings of previous work you had done. Um uh, I, I know one of the most interesting stories, Ted Darling, the original voice of the Buffalo Sabres, he just took the expansion draft list from June of 1970 and came up with a mock game with sound effects and recorded that and <laughs> turned that in. Uh, I always thought that was a tremendous, tremendous idea. But uh, as it turned out, my previous work stood for itself. And, and there's no doubt that that's, you know, look, your body of work also speaks for itself. But, you know, it, it, I'm, it, I'm interested to find out from you, you know, you, you have a, 
you know, you walk through the room and, and you know, everybody knows you. You, you know, you're, you're one of the few, you know, you and, and David and, and partner Craig Baugh have been around since the beginning. Um, you know, and you've seen everybody go through this, you know, every player that's gone through this organization at, at this level. Um, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not asking a parent to pick their favorite kid, but are there other a few players who have stood out to you over the years, um, you know, just for, not even just for hockey reasons, but just, you know, personalities that have stood out to you? Because hockey's not known for its outwardly bold personalities. Like, you know, you, there's very few P.K. Subans around or, or, you know, in this sport. Yeah. Who are guys that kind of personality-wise stand out for you, and, and and maybe why why they stand out to you, you know, through the years? Okay, first of all, I'm not going to mention anybody in the current roster because that's unfair. But I'll talk about Fair the enough. guys who had been here. Uh, and I, the first one that comes to mind actually has got to be Thomas Volkun. What a combatant he was! What a competitor he was! He just wanted to win any way that he could. So he ends up with the first shutout in team history. He ends up in two brawls that he seemed to initiate with Calgary's Jerome McGinley. Absolutely had to love that. And he was the guy on whose shoulders the Predators made their first trips to the playoffs. He took over for Mike Dunham. Mike Dunham got traded away to the New York Rangers. Thomas Wilkoon became the guy. And that guy was quite successful. So he was the early day uh, ace of the goaltenders that Pecorine plays now and maybe in, in transition. Cliff Ronick, the team's leading scorer in the early days, a scientist. And I think that is part of what we see him doing now. He runs a hockey stick company that where he customizes the stick to the player and then effectively gives you a golf pro's lessons on how to use the stick. Uh, a great thinker of the game. Really enjoyed him. Captain Tom Fitzgerald, the first captain, very special person. I remember kidding around with him one day, and I said, oh, what a horrible... And I know he had come up with the Islanders, and of course I had been with the Sabres and Pat LaFontaine, and I go, I'm just trying to kid him a little bit. I go, Tom, what a horrible person Pat LaFontaine is. <laughs> and he, just a look of shock came across his face, and he goes, geez, he's... He's the nicest person I've ever met in my life. So I got the real response out of Tom on that. Then we laughed about that later, to be certain. Uh, so there are a lot of players along those lines. Uh, Patrick Cote, who you know ended up in prison, but what an immense personality he was. He led the league in major penalties that first season. I believe that 32 of them had to have frequent surgeries on his hands as a result. But I'll never forget, because the night he scored his lone goal for the Predators, he's on the bench in Tampa and trying to borrow Paul Gardner's cell phone so he could call his father back home in Quebec from the bench. In the middle of the game. He got his first goal. <laughs> yes, the... right in the middle of the game. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, look, and I, it's not, it's, hockey just doesn't lend itself to the, a lot of those kinds of personalities, just the nature of the sport. But it's, it's, always, you know, it's always great to hear those kinds of stories and, and, and be around, and, you know, be around those people. And I think the Predators in a lot of ways, um, you know, as a franchise do a lot of things the right way in terms of, you know, their, their players get out in the community and I, I've been around them and, and when they're mm-hmm. doing it. And it's not just, you know, it's not just for show. It's not just for the cameras. It's, you know, a lot of these guys really enjoy doing it. Um, I think a lot of what's been lost with all the, with the coronavirus stuff, Pete, is, is the tornado that went through here 
yep. right before then. Um, you know, it's been a, I've talked about it on other on the last podcast we did. You know, it's a fear of mine that, that those people are going to be forgotten about, um, just in, in light of everything else going on. So, you know, I, 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 I urged people on the last podcast to, you know, try to remember that those people are out there too, because, you know, look, I mean, we're all in this together, I guess, alone now <laughs> we're supposed to be, but, uh, but, you know, to, to see what the team, you know, the team's still doing some, some fundraising and, and, you know, it's very important to Sean Henry that, that, uh, you know, the Predators remain active as active as they can during these times with, with some of the fundraisers and stuff, but the organization, how much have you seen it change? Like the, the culture, you know, from, from, from being a, you know, an infant franchise to, to what it's turned into now over the years. I mean, is it, you've been there through it all and it had an up close look at yeah. it. Is it, is it, how different is it today than it was in the beginning? And, and is it, or are you too close to that to, to really see that? Well, I, th- I will be a, a tree in the forest here looking around. And I have to say, the team was always involved in the community, but now there are more people to become involved in the community in the office. I believe there are roughly 300 uh, full-time employees for the Predators, and uh, all of them are big into the outreach area of the community. And uh, absolutely love doing it because they, they love living here. And I'm I, not speaking out of turn for anybody in that regard. Everybody really enjoys living here. Because I think back to what it was like in the summer of 2007 when it might be that we would have, uh, well, uh, the, the need to move because the franchise was being sold. Jim Balsillie was trying to hijack the team, take it uh, to Hamilton, Ontario. And that was not a, a pleasant thought, though my contract at the time said if the team moved, I was going to go uh, and move essentially with the team. That was, uh, that was what uh, we were facing at that point in time. Thankfully, uh, we got rescued from that. The NHL stepped in for certain uh, and said that Balsillie could not use the Predators logo to sell tickets online to the Hamilton Predators. And uh, that was a that represented a huge change right then and there. So it went from the founding ownership group of Craig Leopold and Gaylord Entertainment to a largely local-based group of businessmen who call this and have called this area their home for a long time. And I think that has helped both with the synergy between team and the community and the fans with the players. And I think that all happened with the big spontaneous standing ovation back in April of 08 in the game of the St. Louis Blues, in which the Predators needed that desperately to make the playoffs with their stripped-down roster at the time. No more Paul Korea, no more Thomas Volkun, no more Kimo Timonen, no more Scott Hartnell. But they were still able to make it into the playoffs, and I think from ever then it's been a true love affair between Nashville and its hockey team. And it's been and selling hockey in the South. I mean, they, you know, I think you, Vegas has kind of used Nashville a little bit as a, a, of a model in terms of how they're mm-hmm. approaching what they're doing with you know their rel- fairly new franchise. It's only you know two years old, um, you know. And, and I think a lot of people, if you told them in 1997 or 1998 we're going to have hockey in the South, and, and, and when that was announced, I'm sure there were a lot of skeptics that said, "Well, yeah, good luck with that." Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, college football's there, and like you know, the SEC, and like you know, I, yeah, I don't know if you're going to be able to do that. Um, but you know, Nashville's done it, and and other markets in the South have been able to do it. Um, and and it's it's been interesting to see coming from a market where I came from in Chicago, where they don't really have to try to sell it. 
the Roners at one point did a good job of destroying whatever uh, relationship yes. they had with the fans, but they've been able to rebuild that since then. But it's a different kind of a, you know it's a different kind of an experience. You know, I love going to games in Vegas. It's a, you know it's a new way to to watch a game. It's entertainment. It's not just hockey. It's, it appeals to a lot broader base that you know I think is smart uh, smart marketing by the NHL the teams that do it. Um, you know the the outdoor games and 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 just trying to make it you know a, a little bit different. Um, but listen, Pete, I I want to know you know. You're in, you know, everybody knows you for hockey, or at least I would, I would guess the, the broad audience knows you for hockey. Uh, but when you walk through the Nashville airport and you hear your own voice, uh, does, any, does your wife make fun of you? Or do you make fun of yourself? Like, how many takes did it take for you to record that? Uh, it didn't take many, though I got to tell you, it was six pages of script. So they pick and choose what they're going to use and put it through a rotation. Okay. So I, I never know what is going to come up, but I don't go through because of, we're flying charter all the right, time. I right, don't go right. through there very frequently. Uh, yes, my wife does. And uh, <laughs> Michelle Goulet, one of the uh, an NHL Hall of Famer and a scout, was going through there as he came in town the night before again, and we were still on the road, and he texted me, yeah, I want to thank you for welcoming me to Nashville, and I do know all bags do look alike. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's, that's the best <laughs> uh, response I think I've gotten today. So with no hockey going on, and I, you know, look, we're all, you know, there's a lot more important things that we're dealing with, you know, as a society, but with, with the season on hold or possibly, you know, we, we haven't really experienced this in sports too much unless there's been a labor dispute um, you right. know, in terms of seasons not going on or, or canceled or postponed or whatever. Um, this is something that truly none of us could be charged with. Right. And, and, and I just wonder, you know, I, I, I'm curious, you know, just like everybody else, you know, you know, to me it really doesn't matter. Like this season, whether they play it or not, it'd be great. It'd be a great distraction if they can figure out a way to do it. If they don't, it's not, you know, it, 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 it's, I don't think it really matters in the grand scheme of things. But there are going to be a lot of things to figure out down the road eventually mm-hmm. when all, you know, whenever we get through all this. Um, but when you think about as every day goes, you know, every day goes past, I mean, do you think there's a chance that it would come back this season? Or, I mean, because it could have started affecting next season and, and whatnot. I mean, have you thought about that much, or do you just kind of, whenever you get the call, you're going to be ready? Well, pretty much the latter there, to be certain. That's the way I have to be. But I do think it's going to get back. I, I, if we do a good job of the, one of the great phrases that have become part of everyday language now is flattening the curve of COVID-19. Uh, so trying to get the incidents and the reports of outbreaks or confirmed cases of the disease down to where it's no longer seems like a tidal wave or a tsunami rolling across the country. Once that happens, I have a feeling that what May 3rd, I believe would be the end of the eight weeks of uh, lack of uh, social gatherings that was recommended by the Center for Disease Control. And I would not be surprised if sometime in that neighborhood, and again, scientifically, we can't tell you for sure when that curve will be flattened, but I think it will flatten out by the measures that have been taken, and we will be able to get back into action. And maybe one of the best things that happened, for hockey anyway, is the fact that the International Olympic Committee finally has decided to go ahead and delay the Olympic Games for a year, 
which will free up NBC's airtime, and NBC is the one that is the national carrier in the U.S. of the NHL. So we could be able to play games in June and after July 24th and get things done to uh, wrap up and put a nice pretty bowl on top of the 2019-2020 season. I know we'll have some asterisks in there. So they'll say, well, I haven't played since, what, uh, March 11, and uh, got picked up again in May, June, or July. Yeah, so my- I think it's going to happen. I, I sure I sure hope so. I think a lot of people out there, you know, hope so too. And you know, it's it, it's just so I I try not to project. I mean, I look I, I'm a, I'm afraid to look at Twitter. You know, every time I look at Twitter, it's something new, and I've got to keep track. You know, but um, I wanted to also talk. I want to you know in these times, I think uplifting stories are are important. You know, and and, and not always focusing on you know the elephant in the room. And I was able to work on a story about somebody who's very near and dear to a lot of people in the NHL, a lot of people with the Predator, within the Predator, everybody within the Predators organization, and to you, um, I actually have talked with you about, about, and I mentioned at the beginning or earlier on the show about uh, Craig Partner Baugh, one of the equipment guys, uh, locker room attendants uh, at Bridgestone. And um, you had a great, you told me some great stories when I was working on this story, Pete, and, and yeah. One of them that stood out to me was when he so so background on Craig he you know he's he was at the time was legally blind he's since um, gotten his eyes he got new eyes courtesy of the Predators um, his vision's been corrected he doesn't even wear glasses anymore but doesn't drive and and way back in the, what late eighties early nineties when he was working for the Sounds is that is that about right yes, um, yes. He, you were in town and he he asked you for a ride home could you I, I wonder I wonder I want people <laughs> to hear you tell that story because me writing that does, isn't the same as you telling it. Okay, okay. And uh, so he knew that uh, Greg Brown and I had a car because we would do talk shows after the game to fill up to the next hour or so on back to the station in Buffalo. So he asked, and he would work a while after the game too, and he would ask if we could have a ride. I said, how far away do you live, partner? He goes, well, about five minutes. Okay, glad to. So he gets in the backseat of the car with Greg and me, and we start taking off. And uh, he has to direct me because I have no idea where he's going. We didn't have GPS right, right. some 30 years ago. So I couldn't just pop an address in and have that read out. Turn right, turn left. Well, I was dependent upon Parker to be my Siri, if you will. <laughs> and, okay, Parker, you said there's a right-hand turn. Where was it? And he'd go, back, back, back there. Well, by the time he got the turns out, this five-minute trip turned into a half-hour trip. But... We were also laughing so hard, partner included, that uh, we forgot all about that part of it. But that's a five-minute trip into a 30-minute trip. That's how you do it. And the best 30 minutes that you probably ever could have spent unplanned because, you know, a partner, of course, you know, has a stutter and, and, you know, some speech. He's great to talk to. He's very honest and very, you know, just a, oh, yeah. like everybody looks forward to seeing this guy every time you, you know, every, I know every time I go to Bridgestone, one of the first people that I look for is, is Craig just to say hello or, or you know, now that we have social distancing and we can't hug, but Craig's, you know, Craig's probably yeah. having a problem with that too. Um, just I would that. say he is because he might be the leading hugger in the National Hockey League. Did I, did I tell you, Pete, the story about, um, about Joe Thornton? So, uh, Pete Rogers, the Predators equipment manager, told me that Joe, so Joe Thornton's one of one of uh, Craig's favorite players, favorite visiting players, and and Joe loves loves Craig, and Craig had never seen Joe, and Joe is a pretty imposing guy with a 
beard that would make a lot of cavemen jealous. And um, <laughs> Grizzly Adams. Yes, I mean it's it's that it's it's that good or bad or fabulous depending on how you look at it. I think it's 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 awesomely awesome. But uh, just because I can't grow one, but Craig. Joe wanted wanted Craig to see him, and once he found out that Craig had the corrective surgery, and Craig saw him and turned around and walked away because of the beard. He, the beard, he's like, oh, that beard is awful, man. It's awful, buddy. So Joe went to Pete and said, you know, Pete, he won't talk to me now. Like, what happened? <laughs> Pete told Joe, well, it's the it's the beard, man. I think it's like he was a little kid who was like saw it for, like saw it for the first time and it scared the hell out of him. But uh, no, Craig is a uh, you know he's he's somebody that you know when I first uh, started here a year, about a year and a half ago, um, one of the first people I noticed and just you know the energy that that guy gives off. Uh, oh yeah, is you know Pete, Pete Rogers said if you don't if you can't love that guy you don't have a heart in your chest you know I mean that's that's just but I want to great do, way of putting it. Do you have any other any other cutting room floor Craig stories that that you could share? I don't know if I can share some of them in a family environment or not. Let me try to think here. Uh, Wasn't there one recent one where he he spilled somebody's food all over him, or spilled somebody's food in the? Did you hear that one too? Oh, he was running down the hallway, and he ran into Lawrence Filoni, the team's video video, coach. Yeah, and Lawrence was carrying food out from the, the player lounge to go across the hall to the workout room, and Parker just collided with him like it was NASCAR down in the corner, and food went flying all over the place. And Barnes going, not my fault, and he kept on running, going wherever it was he was going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I remember he, uh, when, when PK came back uh, yep. for the first time and, and Craig was in the locker room and, and before the game, after the morning skate, yelling across the locker room, hey, hey Pekka, Pekka, you know what they're going to say to PK tonight? Boo! <laughs> and Craig and you know Pete, of course PK found you know came once these it's crazy to me you know Pete Pete Rogers told me some crazy stories about just the 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 people who you know reach out to him um you know and, and well the New York Rangers in our first year or two they uh wanted him to come on our trip there to Madison Square Garden so he comes with us and he's down helping Pete in the then old dressing rooms at the garden and they whistled down the hallway at him for the Rangers' room. Hey, partner, we got wings. Uh-oh. Next thing you know, he set and he broke, I think, Usain Bolt's 100-meter dash record, heading on down the hallway to get the wings that the Rangers had for him. And I believe it, because and Craig is not a small man, and I still believe he, he no. run faster than Usain Bolt. And he also fell asleep on the bench during the game at the Winter Classic. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, 80, Hard to imagine, huh? 85,000 people in outside, and it wasn't exactly warm that day i mean it wasn't freezing cold but january 1st here's craig outside on the bench sleeping during the game uh but that just tells you he's really relaxed he is and and i, I i've never slept with an audience of eighty-five thousand people i don't know that i could but you know that man he certainly can do it but uh well um pete what what are your plans you know like are you taking up video games or sewing or what or what are you doing to keep yourself busy besides thinking <laughs> Well, watching a lot of Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime Video. Do you have any recommendations? Uh, and, well, I'm really enjoying I'm about to wrap up uh, uh, West Wing. I'm in the final season with about uh, six, seven episodes to go. I completed 
the three-season run of the uh, Fantastic Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Video. I thought that, that's a very well-done series. And it's interesting that, uh, for those not avail- aware of the story, she was the wife of a stand-up comedian, and the stand-up comedian couldn't make it. She ends up doing stand-up, and she's doing a heck of a job with it. Uh, <laughs> they stay the- watching old documentaries. Uh, <clears throat> Howard K. Smith narrating each of the decades of the 20th century. Fascinating stuff to me, anyway. And uh, then the other night, I watched The Natural, which was filmed during my first season of baseball coverage in Buffalo in 1983. And remember some of those cutaways that I was uh, there watching them uh, do at uh, our now former ballpark, War Memorial Stadium. You like sports version of the six degrees of... Kevin Bacon or whatever the heck that was called. Like I could say every every conversation that we ever have, I'll say or I'll, I'll I wouldn't even not even you and I any conversation you ever have, I'll, I'll listen in or one a person will say, yeah, well you know I remember the Yankees 1977 season and, and Pete will have some connection to that and he'll remember it like it was it, like it's a photograph in his in his ingrained in his brain, which I I just. I, like I said, I, I like to, I love to listen to you. I love to listen to your stories, and you know, I love our interactions. And I know, you know, people miss hearing you, and people miss the sports and everything. But I, I'm glad. I was glad. I'm glad we were able to take a few minutes today to just kind of sit down and talk about whatever, and you know, hopefully give people a distraction for a half hour, you know, from from the world, uh, you know, and, and have a laugh or have a memory or or learn something new. Um, but uh, Pete, you know, with with the state of, you know, the, the pre- I want to ask you one, one, I should ask you a Predators question about this season, I guess. Uh, okay. But, um, you know, this, this season's been, it's been a strange one. Uh, you know, David fired a coach mid-season for the first time in 25 years. Um, you know, the, the, the trade of Subban last summer and, and Duchesne signing and, and the beginning of this season, um, you know, it's been kind of a strange ride, um, and, and and yet when all the world stopped, here the Predators are in a playoff spot. Um, what kind of in a, in, a, in a nutshell? What's your been? What you know? Can you give me a synopsis of of what you've seen this season, and, and maybe why you know things are where they are right now, and how, and how they got there? Greatest roller coaster season I think I've been through, Paul. I mean, there there will be now. They still. Uh, though they can work on it now, they have not had a four-game winning streak yet. But the, when the hold button was pushed after their win in Montreal, they had had three consecutive victories. Mm-hmm. If they can put a few more of those together, I think they'll be in pretty good shape. But to this point, the defensive zone coverage, just well, the concept of it seemed to have been lost to the team. They got, they've gotten it back, I think, largely <clears throat> since the coaching change. And I think they also have gotten back to the idea of the competitive level has to be up. And I think it has been up, uh, particularly what we saw in that game in Montreal. And who knows, who ever would have dreamed that we'd be talking about the Montreal game being the last one played for the time being anyway. Right. Uh, and I think the other thing we saw is without Ryan Ellis for about seven weeks, from that New Year's Day game injury inflicted by Corey Perry. It took a while to get the defense sorted out, but he comes back, and what a difference that has made. It's allowed, I think, uh, a chance for the guys to play more where they should have been playing rather than forced to maybe play a little bit ahead 
of the role they were capable of playing, at least at this point in their careers. So Dante Fabro has it a little bit less pressure on him now, right. just for example there. Yeah. And, boy, maybe the beginnings of a pretty good big tandem on defense, when you think about it with uh, Holzer uh, now working back there, and uh, see how he fits in. But it seemed like he worked together very, very well from the outset with Jared Tenorti. You know, I think you know, there's been a lot of talk about goaltending this year, Pete, and I think what you said with the, with the defense, defensive zone coverage, the improvement in that area also has a lot to do with the improvement in the goalie play, which I think has been the biggest improvement since, since John Hines has taken over as coach, as you've seen you know, yes. overall, especially UC, you know, who's, who's – Take, you know, for, let's let's just—I'll I'll call a spade a spade, and he's, he's a starter right now, I mean, and, that, and he could be for the foreseeable future or for until Packer retires. But you've seen the, the goalie and play prove a lot in conjunction with that defensive zone play. And, and you're right, there was a lot of yeah. a, a lot of looking lost out there and, and just giving up goals at horrible times. That, you know, on plays that are just just bad turnovers and just not being where you're supposed to be, and not you know just but. A lot of the, you know, a lot of the goal, you know, the, the criticism has been on the defense. Um, and, and, you know, listen, with Ryan Ellis out, the record-wise, they kept their heads above water. But I yes. think they were losing, uh, you know, not having him out there. Certainly, they were, not, they were not, even though they kept their heads above water with him out, they weren't getting any better with him out. And they certainly are much right. better with him in the lineup. And, and he's, to me, one of the most underrated you know, he he's kind of like the, that role with you know playing next to Roman, where it's easy for that shadow that Roman casts is pretty large, and mm-hmm. Ryan's not, you know, Ryan is not going to put up fancy number. He just does so many things, so many little things, and compliments Yossi so well that that's huge for the Predators if if you know if, if they can get those guys going and stay healthy together. So. Um, I look forward to hopefully having a, a season or some sort of a ending to the season. Um, I'm not right. You know that that would be nice to see, but if not, we'll we'll reconvene in in August or September, and um, you know see see where we are there. But Pete, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today, or join me, I should say. Our usual co-host is not here today, um, but um, I look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you at the arena again soon, and um, you know again hearing your stories, and uh, you know we can all go back to some sense of normalcy at some point. Well, maybe I look forward to that as well. Maybe you and I and Craig Ball can enjoy some catfish together. How about that? I, I would, and I, yeah, we'll make Craig buy it. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, hey, that does it for this uh, this edition of uh, Catfish Corner. We hope you subscribe to Tennessean.com if you haven't already. And remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever the heck you get your podcast. Drop us a review or a rating while you're at it. And for Pete Weber, I'm Paul Scarbina, and we will talk to you next time, next week.